You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. Um, I'm going to be generous to someone, whoever's driving a uh, white Subaru uh, wagon out front, your interior lights on, so that's my generosity to you instead of waiting until the end of the service to tell you in your vehicle uh, not start. So if you need to take care of that, uh, please go and do so and uh, find out who it is. It would be that easy to get people to repent, you know, we'd, we'd be doing good. I also want to do something else, and, and I, I didn't even tell them I was going to do it. I didn't know I was going to do it until a minute ago, and God kind of laid it uh, upon my heart to do this. But I want uh, John Hart, if he would step up here real quick and kind of give us a report of Philip and, uh, and everything as he's uh, off at basic training. We've not uh, taken the chance for him to do that. By the way, as John uh, is coming in uh, June, the first Sunday in June, Lynn Crump is going to uh, lead us in a worship service to be focused on Africa. And uh, then since they're going to be away doing a mission trip, we'll also have some this summer going to Guatemala uh, on a mission trip. Uh, we really need to be praying you know, for those people, we need to pray all the time anyway. But John's going to lead us in a uh, like a three-part series in June, uh, also focused on prayer. So uh, be praying for him as he gets ready to lead us in prayer. But give us a quick report on Philip. What do you want to say? What do you want to say? We've got several phone calls from him. He's in basic training, so he's in boot camp. Um, he prepared for a month or month and a half before he went in. Thought that he was pretty re- pretty well ready for it. He's got several friends that are in the Air Force, and they've told him all what he could expect and that kind of thing. Um, he wasn't ready. <laughs> not even close. He called He called back. He said, I've never been so scared and so intimidated and so wanting to come home in my life. He said, but I'll make it. He said, it'll be all right. So then, you know, a week or so later, we got a phone call, because he's, he's only allowed to call maybe once a week, and for like 10 or 12 minutes is all they give him. So he called him. And he said, we're, we're starting to get it. We're starting to understand. We're starting to learn you know, what we've got to learn. And he said, um, he said it's good. He said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. He said, but I'm going to make it. It's going to be fine. So uh, then one week we didn't get a phone call because somebody in his group was caught writing a letter at night when they weren't supposed to be. So the whole 50, I think they started out with 56 or 57 or 51, 50 or 51 left. And uh, somebody was writing the letters that they weren't supposed to be at night. And so everybody got punished and nobody got to call home. So today's Mother's Day. We're hoping that they let them call home for Mother's Day. Uh, that would probably be about the best gift that Kathy could get. Uh, she's had about as hard a time him being gone as he had being gone, I think. But, uh, but he's doing well. He's an element leader. He's over a fifth of his um, group. And so they've already put him in some areas of responsibility. And, and uh, he's doing well. Yeah. Had some people ask, and I thought we'd just give you a minute to to, to say. So keep keep praying for uh, keep praying for Philip. Uh, moral of that story is this: if you think some of us as parents are tough, just you know we could send you into the military, and uh, you you could figure out uh, what <clears throat> what someone being really mean to you uh, is like. Uh, as I said, we're doing a series this month on on generosity, and uh, really just kind of verse by verse going to uh, go through Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight and nine. Uh, so we did uh, uh, did three principles last week, going to do two today, but, uh, but that's where we're going to be focused at. Today, the verses uh, are verse 10 uh, through 15 of, uh, of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. So if you will find your place there, 
and, uh, and join me real quick in prayer. And, uh, and we're going to go to the Lord in, in prayer and just ask him to, uh, uh, to, to bless us uh, this, this morning. I'm going to ask uh, Derek Powell if he would lead us in prayer. Uh, part of the reason for doing this series, of course, is, is the mission trip in front of us that Lynn was sharing with you about a moment ago uh, to Africa, but that's not the only reason. We need to be generous uh, all the time, not just when we have special offerings in front of us, you know, whether it be you know, like a Christmas missions offering or Easter or you know, benevolent offering, whatever it is. We need this to be generous all the time uh, because that empowers our church to do more ministry, to make a bigger impact for Jesus and things like that. But I want you to kindly hone in on, on this. Uh, don't think of, of this series just because of a mission trip or anything like that. The main reason you and I ought to have the desire to be generous is because of the generosity of God. Amen? Because of the generosity in Jesus uh, coming and dying on the cross for our sins. And because He's in our life... And he wants us to be generous toward other people. We can make a difference in, in the life of others. Uh, just a, a, a quick story. doesn't matter who it is or anything. But kind of like through your generosity and supporting uh, the church, just a quick mission action that, that took place at the end of the week. There's a family that uh, attends our church who uh, their hot water heater had rusted out and kind of flooded the whole basement and everything like that. Uh, I think like five kids or something like that. I may have the count wrong. Uh, lived there and found out the mother had been heating water uh, on the stove in order to give the kids baths and things like that. Uh, so we went and we put in a new hot water heater. So was, uh, one of our uh, men went and kind of helped to uh, oversee that. Uh, so the reason I'm telling you that story is not to make anybody feel uncomfortable, let you know by your generosity that empowered helping uh, someone in, uh, in that way. And there's a lot of other stories, you know, that we uh, can tell and, and probably will tell at, uh, at different times. But we ought to have the desire to be, to be generous because of the generosity of God, because what He has done for us. Uh, for us. Uh, I, I recognize, I want to point out each week, because I understand we're in a tough economic time, so I, I don't want to be bringing a message on giving or generosity, which, by the way, generosity involves more than our finances. It ought to involve our talents, our, our schedule, our time, you know, kind of everything about us, us being stewards of what uh, God blesses us with and does for us. But uh, I understand fully that we're in a depressed economic time right now in our nation. And I understand this area, you know, the unemployment rate here is one of the worst unemployment rates anywhere also in the nation. So I understand all of that up front. I also understand as we look at this passage of Scripture that Paul uses the Macedonian church that was a very, very, very poor church. He uses them as an example for the Corinthian church that was living in a pretty good economic culture. And he's pointing out that those that didn't have very much to give at all gave anyway. And they gave out of a conviction. They gave out of a joy in their heart. So while I recognize we're facing tough times, you see, our faith shouldn't ever be in our pocketbook anyway. It ought to be where? In, in God. I, I know a lot of people are wrestling with, with, with their 
finances in this day and time because it, it's almost like, as I mentioned last week, like the, the God of money has died. You know, and people are wondering, what are we going to do because of our economy? Maybe that's happened intentionally. Maybe God is allowing some people's God of money to die, so we'll have to focus our faith upon where it should be instead of ourselves and our own finances and what we think we can, can do ourselves. Uh, last week, we focused on three principles, and I'm just going to bring those back up quickly just to let you know where we've been, and then we're going to look at two principles uh, today. But here's the three principles we looked at uh, last week. Number one, generosity displays the grace of God, because God is so generous to us. When we, in turn, practice generosity, it's like we're displaying what God has done for us. Principle number two, generosity is an important part of the Christian faith. We'll, you know, many times we'll elevate discipleship or witnessing or whatever the case might be as major things in the Christian faith. And we'll kind of put, you know, generosity or giving on the back burner. But what Paul tells us in this passage of scripture is that our generosity is a very important part of our faith also. Principle number three is this, the example of Jesus should compel generosity. When we think about what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus left heaven, came to this world, suffered and died, bled for our sins, displaying ultimate generosity, the generosity that Jesus has displayed for us in his example ought to compel you and I to be generous. Now, that's the first three principles. We're going to look at the next two. And uh, by the time we finish this, we would have seen 10 principles, I think, that Paul gives for generosity in, uh, in these two chapters. But today we're looking at principles number four and five. Here's number four. Number four is simply this. Generosity is a planned and a proportionate commitment. It's a planned commitment. It's something you have to plan to do. It might not happen. It's a proportionate commitment. It's based upon what we have and what we don't have. And we'll kind of break that down in a moment. But look at verse 10 and, uh, and 12 in this passage of Scripture. And in this manner, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness, in other words, the fact that you wanted to do it, your willingness in desiring it and desiring to do it, may be matched by your actually doing it, by completing it out of what you have. For the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I want you to see three things in those verses. The first one, not necessarily the main topic we're looking at as far as it being planned in order for it to happen, but I do think it's important that Paul said this, and we need to focus on it just for a moment. Generosity also benefits the giver. You know, a lot of times we, we know up front, I mean, it's a given fact that generosity given towards somebody else will benefit the recipient of our generosity. But, but Paul is letting us know also that there's a benefit that we gain. He's looking at this Corinthian church and letting them know the things that he's about to say to encourage them to be generous. It will benefit them also. It doesn't just benefit who receives our generosity. It benefits you and I as we practice generosity. Now, now, maybe help better understand that the word for benefits that uh, that Paul used in, in the original Greek, this translated benefits in our in our English Bible, means these things. It means to bear together, to contribute together, to collect. It, it was translated as the word advantage. Uh, to be better for, to bring together, to be good for, or profitable for. Now, now think about 
the, the words, the, the definition of that word, how it was used in the Greek, and, and apply that to maybe how our generosity can benefit us. It, it said that we bear together. You, you see, when we have something before us, a, a task or an opportunity before us, use the mission trip right now to Africa since it's right there on the wall as something for us to look at. We, we can bear it together, whereas, you know, maybe one or two people could not do that. But jointly, we can bear the burden of that together to make it happen. You know, you guys did a great job. I'm going to come back to that again and brag on you back at Christmas for, for UTH going to Guatemala and the amount of money uh, that was raised for that. And by the way, they're, you know, also getting ready to go back uh, this summer. But, you know, we can bear together and support things like that in ways we couldn't do as individuals. We can contribute together. What we give corporately together can make a larger impact than what you or I could do individually uh, in that way. So there's benefit in us giving together like that. There's an advantage to it. Of course, there's an advantage for the person we help or people we help or people we minister to, but there's an advantage for us ourselves as we're generous because it gives us the opportunity to be more like Jesus, to be more like God, to be obedient to Him as He encourages us to be generous. It's better for it. It even brings us together. See, if a church will be generous, if all the members of a church will be generous, it gives us something to, to come together around, just like these mission opportunities. It gives us something to kind of rally around the flag of Jesus, so to speak, and actually accomplish together. It's good and, and, and it's profitable. It's beneficial for us also to be, to be generous. main thing, though, I wanted to get you to see in this principle is, is this. We're talking about it being a, a, a planned thing in order for it to happen. Generosity needs to be planned for it to happen. Uh, and I, let me qualify that. I'm not saying that, that all generosity that can never be spontaneous, you know. I thank God it can be. I've had people be spontaneous with me, and I've had the opportunity to be spontaneous with somebody else where I'd not planned it, but an opportunity presented itself, and you can give and bless somebody else in some way. But I'm talking about systematically, you know, not a legalistic thing, but systematically for us to plan to be generous in our lives, yet you have to put some thought into it and take some steps to make it happen. He said there who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire it. So he's saying, look, a year ago, you guys got on board. He's writing to these Corinthian believers. A year ago, when I told you about the needy believers down in Jerusalem, when I told you about how they were suffering, how poor the believers in Jerusalem were at that time, and Paul had gone around to the churches, a lot of the Gentile churches, and he said, let's help out those Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And a lot of the churches had got on board. Macedonia, the poor church I mentioned a moment ago, had already accomplished they're given. Now he's writing to this more wealthy uh, environment in Corinth, and he's saying, listen, you bought into it. You said you wanted to do it. You promised to do it, but that was a year ago, and it's not happened yet. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, they started out to do it. They were desiring to do it, but now he's saying, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. It kind of reminds me of a, of a coach at halftime. 
might be the way you could view this that Paul is being with these Corinthian believers. If you've ever been on a, an athletic team, you know, you might have done pretty good the first half, but you know, the game's not over. You've not finished the game yet. And a coach will get in there and do pep talks and everything like that and say, look, for us to go out and finish winning this game, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, and we need to be sure we take care of this in order for us to be sure we win the whole game. That's kind of what Paul is doing. It, it's, you know, halftime. They've started giving in Corinth. They started trying to get this offering together to try and help these needy believers in Jerusalem, but they had not finished it yet. And, and kind of like God's coach, Paul kind of comes on the scene and says, listen, you know, you guys said, yes, you wanted to do it. You made a promise. You wanted to be involved, but it's been a year and you've not finished it yet. And, and that's why he's calling them to actually finish what they had planned to do for us to be systematically on a regular basis generous in our lives it's going to require us to plan or it just might not happen it might not happen without planning for it to happen you see paul had already told him back in first corinthians 16 he said this on the first day of every week sunday each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collecting when I come. It's, it's one thing to have a desire to do something. It's another thing to take the steps to be sure that it happens. It's one thing for somebody to make a promise, but a promise needs to be followed up with performance. Now, now I understand full well in this passage of Scripture, Paul is, is predominantly talking about grace giving. He's talking about giving out of joy. He's talking about giving out of a willing heart. I realize that it's not some legalistic thing where you're saying you have to give, you have to give, you have to give, you have to give. He's talking about having a willing heart to give. But think about this. If we have a willing heart, that willingness also needs to translate over to a working heart to where we follow through with the burden that God's placed upon our heart. How does that happen for us as Christians? What's our primary motive, I think, for being generous? It's the, generos the generosity of who? God. See, if you and I will focus upon His grace... If we'll focus upon Jesus and what He has done for us, by us looking at the cross and being reminded... What he has done for us, it ought to kind of compel that willingness for you and I to be gracious also, for you and I to be generous also. During the invitation time later in the service, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper in a similar fashion that we did just a few weeks ago. And I have the baskets up here with the, with the cups where everything's kind of prepackaged. And during the invitation, I'm going to invite you to come up at the first of the invitation and, and take the cups and return back and kind of group together as family and friends or whatever and reflect upon what Jesus has done for you. Think about his body, think about his blood, and partake the Lord's Supper. You might think, why am I doing this as we talk about generosity? Here's why. Jesus is the one that practiced ultimate generosity. And dying for us. We need to be reminded of his generosity. And if we'll be reminded of his generosity, we ought to be motivated to plan, to take steps, to be generous ourselves. Not only do we need to plan it in order for it to happen, generosity also should be proportionate to what you have. It's proportionate to what you have. He, he went on and he said, completing it, talking about completing this offering, out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, if you're willing in your heart, if the readiness is there, 
It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now think about that. Do you recognize that's all God expects? God, better than anyone else, knows exactly what you have. He knows how you blessed you. He knows your current state. He knows exactly where you are in life. And the only thing God expects is for us to proportionally give based out of what we have. I can't give based upon what I don't have. You can't give based upon what you don't have. He, he's, he's telling these Corinthian believers, I want you to evaluate, even though he used the Macedonian believers as an example, he said, look, I'm not telling you to give the same thing the Macedonian believers gave. He said, I just use them as an example. They gave with joy out of their heart. They gave with generosity out of their heart with great joy and a willingness to do so. Paul never told them, listen, Corinth, you need to give the same amount that the Macedonians gave. You know, one reason he didn't, the Corinthians could probably give more than the Macedonians could give. But another reason he didn't do that, it's not about the exact amount. It's about us willingly out of our heart, being willing to give out of the proportion that God's blessed us. I I can't give based upon what you have. You understand that? I don't control it. You, You can't give based upon what I have because you don't control it. Paul is just telling these Corinthian believers that they need to be willing to give proportionally out of what they have. He, he said this, I've already read part of it, but he, he said it in 1 Corinthians 16 too. Each of you put aside, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. See, I think the main thing that God's looking at in our giving is for a readiness or a willingness in our heart, and in our minds. He's not so focused upon the amount. You want to know why? It's his to start with. He owns it all. He's not as focused upon the amount as he is the willingness, as he is the proportion. The the word readiness just means you've got a predisposition. You've got an eagerness, a, a forwardness of mind, a willingness of mind to give. That's what God is looking for. I think God is is not so much focused on the portion as He is focused on our passion and the proportion. Now think about that. It's not so much the the portion. What what did Jesus say? He's standing there and He watched the the widow. Remember the story? The widow that brought that, the the widow's mite, the story we refer to it, and, and, and put it in the offering plate. What did Jesus say? Did He look down on her and condemn her because the only thing she threw in was like a penny or something? No, he, he said she, she gave all that she had. That, that's all that she could do. She gave it. She had passion in her heart. I, I think God looks for that in, in our generosity. It's not so much the, the portion that we give, but he wants to see that we're giving it willingly, that we love him, that we love other people, and we've got passion as we're generous, and he wants us to give it proportionally as he has blessed us. Instead of us all the time trying to compare ourselves maybe with what somebody else gives and think, well, I can't really give because I just don't have a lot like somebody else has. See, the neat thing about this, I think God sees the heart gift. He he sees the hand gift for sure, but I think he sees the heart gift. And here's, here's what I mean by that. And I think this is something that Paul's alluding to. If you have the desire to give, 
Maybe, you, maybe you're somebody and you wish to yourself, I wish I could just give a million dollars away to missions. But you can't do it, but that's what you really desire in your heart. I think God sees that. And I think He gives you credit for it. Because He sees that's an honest desire in your heart. You may be somebody that could give a million dollars, but what you give, you don't like giving, you give it grudgingly. I think God sees that no matter what you give. He only gives you credit for the amount that you really wanted to give, that you, know, that you were given from your heart. I think God sees both. And, and He gives us credit for that. So I, I don't want you to get the wrong message. You see, a lot of times at churches, you know, especially if, if they hear a series about generosity or money or whatever it is, people start thinking, oh, yeah, they just want our, our money. They just want to make us give. No, I don't want to make you do anything. I do want to inspire you to love Jesus enough because of the way he loved you that you give out of a willing heart whatever the amount is. You give it with passion and you consider the proportion that God's blessed you what you have and you give it out of that proportion. That's, that's what Paul's telling these Corinthian believers. That's how they, they need to give. Principle number five is this. Principle number five is that generosity involves equality. It's, it's a shared burden that we have as believers. That's what he's telling these group of believers in, in, in Corinth. The, the group of believers in Macedonia, look, they, they've given. And, and, and now in, in Corinth, you said you would, so let's finish the offering and let's, let's share the burden equal so there'll be fairness in it. Look at what he says in, in verse 13 through 15. I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened. He's telling them, look, by, by me asking you to give, Corinthian believers, to these believers in Jerusalem, I'm not asking you to be excessively burdened, and they just kind of sit on their laurels and be eased. He's, he's saying that's not what the deal is about. But that as a matter of fairness, your, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no, no lack. You notice three things in, in those verses. First of all, generosity is a matter of fairness, is what Paul's saying as he writes to these Corinthian believers. Like I said a moment ago, he said, I don't want you to think that I'm burdening you down in Corinth just to set them scot-free in Jerusalem where they don't have to give or do anything. He, he's saying that's a matter of fairness. The word fairness means likeness in condition or proportion. It, it, it means equality. We, we live in a day and time that everybody wants their equality, like everybody wants their rights. But, you know, sometimes we don't want equality in the areas that we ought to have equality. Sometimes Paul is saying that there is equality and fairness in, in, in people given as they've been blessed, as they can. Now, now one way, and, and, and I know someone's going to say, oh, man, you're jumping in the Old Testament. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I understand it's grace given out of a will and heart. But since Paul brings up the idea of fairness, tithing, a percentage given is kind of a, a fairness deal. Because you see, somebody giving 10% of $100, 
proportionately is the same amount as somebody giving 10% of $5 million. Because it's, it's the proportion that's there. He's already mentioned that, given a proportion. It's not a legalistic thing of, of just having to give 10%. And sometimes people will, you know, whenever they hear about tithing in church, they'll say, oh, but we're under grace. And that's under the law. That's Old Testament stuff. I, I understand what you're saying. I understand. I've already told you Paul's looking at a heart. He wants us to give it out of a willing heart. But you've heard me say this before if you've been here very long. Here's, here's the thing I struggle with. Are you going to tell me that, that we who are on this side of the cross and we know Jesus has shed his blood, taken his life back up in order that you and I might have everlasting life, or are we going to say we love God less than people that were on the front side of the cross that had not seen that yet? It's kind of like a matter of fairness for us. And that percentage can, can bring about fairness. He said, I don't mean that some be eased and, and others be pressured and, and, and others be, be worn out by it. A lot of times we just, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times all we think about when we talk about generosity or stewardship is money. I, I want you to understand that if you're a Christian, Jesus paid for you with his shed blood. You're not your own anymore. You belong to Him. The Bible tells us that. You're bought and paid for with a price. That's not just your pocketbook. That's your, that's your life. That's your time and your abilities. This deal of equal sharing is not just about us giving a percentage of money. It's also the way we invest our lives and use our time. He's the same principle that Paul uses here, saying, I'm, I'm not wanting others to be eased and, and you to be excessively burdened. He, he's saying, instead, it's a matter of fairness. How many of you ever heard of the 80 20 rule at church? You ever heard of the 80 20 rule at church? And I'm not talking about tithing. Here's the 80 20 rule I'm talking about. Stats say that about 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And see, in order to have a shared fairness in ministry, it's not just about what we give, it's also about how we use our time and our talents. Daryl said he had about 11 people come to, to children's uh, ministry training last time. Thank God for that. But you know what? We still need more people involved and engaged in children's lives for helping with youth and, and, and things like that. And, and you see, it's, it's not right for just a few people to be worn out. When all of us that know Christ as our Savior, we can be engaged in a fairness, we can be involved too. Look at what the words mean. Ease, we're pretty familiar with this word in America today. Relaxation or relief. <laughs> Ease, liberty, rest. He said, I don't want you to think that you're going to be eased while others are burdened. The word burden is the same word we saw last week. It was a word that was used to refer to, to the uh, trabellum sled, and that was a sled that was really heavy-weighted, and they would drag it across the grain back and forth, back and forth, to separate out the usable grain from the part that was unusable. And that grain would get pushed down in a rut and have the weight on it, yeah, he, he's saying, look, I, I don't want other people to feel like that. They don't need to be in a rut in their lives because they are being worn out in their lives or worn out with their giving when it ought to be a fairness about it. 
We, we all ought to be willing to, to give out of fairness, not that others be eased and we be burdened, but we ought to be willing to do it because of, of Jesus and what he has, has done for us. Not only is generosity a matter of fairness, generosity is also this. It's a matter of need, it's a matter of ministry, and it's a matter of ability. Need, ministry, and ability. Verse 14, Paul said, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. See, here's the deal. Somebody else might be in need now that you can help. Somewhere along your life, you're probably going to be the one that's in need and they can help you. Not always in finances. We need to care and love other people. God shows us that through the life of Jesus. We need to put a high value on, on ministering to other people. It might be emotional help, you know, or just encouragement because all of us nosedive from time to time and we have a lot of junk hit our lives. And sometimes you can encourage somebody else and then sometimes you're the one that needs the encouragement. So it's not always just finances. It's how you can use your gifts and your abilities. But we, we need to look at the need of other people. And, and, and if we have the ability to minister to them, we need to minister to them and use the ability that God's given us, whether it's financial or, or talent or whatever it is, to try and help other people. More, more or less, you might just say that Paul in this passage right here is saying this, people matter to God. I mean, that's really what he's saying. And it's not so much about the money and about the offering. It, there, there were suffering people down in Jerusalem. God cares about people. You want to know how much he proved that? He put his son on a cross for us. That's how much he proved. That's how much God was willing to pay. So how much are you and I willing to pay? How much are we willing to do? How much generosity are, are we willing to practice? Because there are people who have needs in their lives. They have deficits, poverty in their lives. They have things lacking in their lives. And out of fairness, once again, the idea of lightness or equality, out of fairness, we can work together to meet the needs of others. We can empower ministry by our generosity, through our abilities, the abundance that God has supplied us. We can have the ability to bless and help other people. So generosity, you see, God's not wanting generosity just for generosity's sake. It's not like God's in heaven and saying, I'm going to ask you to be generous just to see if you will be. There's a reason for it. People are in need. He loves people. And he wants us to be generous in order that we can practice ministry and use the ability that he's given us to help others. Lastly, generosity is also a matter of selfishness and faith. I know those are kind of two opposing things. But a lot of times our lack of generosity is impacted by our selfishness. And a lot of times also our lack of generosity is impacted by us having a lack of faith in God. And we're trying to figure out how we can manipulate our lives, how we can control things, how we can make it work, instead of trusting in God. Paul writes these words. He quotes from Exodus. We'll read that verse in a moment. But Paul writes these words. As it is written, 
You read that in the Bible, that means look back somewhere, it's there, okay? As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. And the word means that, you know, no diminished, no falling short, no lack in their, in their life. The, the verses that he quotes here is from a story back in Exodus chapter 16. It's a story in the life of the nation of Israel as they were on their wilderness wandering. And it tells us that in those, in those verses. What had happened, let me lay some, some background to it. What had happened is that they were going hungry some, and they were complaining and, and being critical and criticizing Moses and rebelling kindly against God and, and everything. And God said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let bread fall out of heaven, the manna from heaven. And I'm going to allow that to happen every day. And I'm going to meet your needs. And you go out and collect the bread that falls from heaven. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. You see, that's the way our life is sometimes if we focus on selfishness. We're just focusing on ourselves, boom, 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 and thinking we're getting ahead. And a lot of times, because you're just focusing on yourself and selfishness, it seems like you never have enough. Really renowned millionaire years and years ago was asked, how much is enough? And he said, one dollar more. Because you're never satisfied, and it's always about you. And whoever gathered little had no lack because God was meeting their need. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. Some selfishly went out with their baskets after the manna fell. And they were, man, they were putting it in and putting it in and putting it in. They were piling up and they were thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to get enough for tomorrow. Maybe even the next day. Maybe I can go toward the end of the week if I just use my ingenuity and my speed and my ability and I go out here and find this manna really quick and just amass it up for myself and then I'll have it to get me through. You know what happened to it? It became infested with maggots. It was spoiled by the next day. And they didn't get to use it. I don't know about you guys. I don't really like moldy bread. I certainly don't think I want bread with maggots, you know. I'm not one of the survivalists you see on TV biting the heads off of snakes so they can live. But that's what they tried to do. And others didn't do that. Others didn't try and keep it over. They listened to what Moses said, and they went out and they collected what they needed. And by keeping what they needed, they had everything that they, that they really did need. They didn't lack anything. Two principles I want you to grab there. The first one deals with selfishness. We need to avoid selfishly gathering finances only to be used for ourselves. Because when we make the focus all about us, I think all the stuff that we gather gets spoiled. 
And instead of it being used the way God wants it to be used, maybe to meet the needs of somebody else, to bless somebody else, to minister to somebody else, if we make it all about me, 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 and what I can get, it gets spoiled. Just like that bread was spoiled. We don't need to make it about us. God didn't save you for you to live for yourself. Whether it be your finances or your time or your abilities, whatever, we don't need to make our lives selfishly just about ourselves. Second thing I want you to get is faith. What we need to do is trust in God to meet our, our daily needs. See, this story that Paul brings up from the Old Testament really is just saying this. You trust me, God, God was saying to the children of Israel, you trust me, I'll feed you every day with that manna from heaven. Don't go out and try and gather it for yourself and think you can control it yourself, you can manipulate it yourself, you can take care of yourself. Don't make it about you, make it about me. Trust me every day for a daily supply. And don't go, you know, sometimes people, oh yeah, well those rich people, are they listen, there's not anything wrong with being rich. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil, it's a love of money. It's when you take it and make it all about yourself, and that's all the only way that you use it. Instead of trusting God, no matter what you have, whether it's a lot or a little bit, no one has lack. That's the principle that Paul's making. No one has lack. If you've got a lot, trust in me, you won't have lack. If you've got a little, trust in me, you won't have lack. But if you try and make it about your own ability and what you can do, here's what happens, the rest of that story. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Told them not to do it. Don't go and, and, and try and store up and control it yourself. But they did not listen to Moses. That's still our problem. We don't listen to what God tells us. This is not in my notes, and I had not planned in the first service or this service to go there at all. But uh, I, I kind of feel like I need to for a moment. Because, yes, there was an election uh, in North Carolina, and, yes, I think it went the way that God says it should go based upon His Word. But I also think that we as Christians have, need to have the right attitude about that and not gloat over it because it has burdened my heart beyond, beyond me being able to express it to you. That because of our lack of being the church as we should be the church, We've opened up a door for whenever we do stand for truth, it makes it look like, look like we're just being hateful and contrary and judgmental and hard to get along with. We need to listen to God's Word. Not just in what marriage is like. We need to listen to God's Word in ministering to other people and loving other people and caring for other people. We need to do the whole nine yards, guys, the whole ten yards. Not just part of it. It's really, really burdened my heart. Because I've, not with any of you, not with anyone that comes here, but I've, I've had conversations over the last few weeks on Facebook, some with, with some kids that I watched grow up at another church that I pastored. That I taught and preached to as they come up as the, in the teenage years. And now they're off out of this culture and all around here, and they don't care what the Bible says. 
And that burdens my heart. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms. But there's your maggots and stink. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Don't go off and start your own denomination on this, but I'm, I'm just telling you, maybe, 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 maybe. Maybe the reason America is in the economic situation it's in today is that God had been blessing us and we've been taking our basket and we've been thinking, look at us, look at us, look at us, look at what we've got, look at what we can own, look at who we are. There's a world out there going to hell and starving to death, but we're just amassing everything to ourselves. And, and, and we've looked at ourselves as we're America. You know, look at our financial system. Look at our army. Look at, you know, look at our military power. Look at, look at all that we have. Look at our bank system and everything else. And we're out there and we're amassing up and amassing up and amassing up like that instead of using the blessings that God's given us to transform this world Maybe that's why our economic system is rotten like a bunch of maggots right now. Well, what we need to do is trust in God, not our money, not our banks, not our military. I'm not trying to be political because I'm not saying anything about a party one way or the other. But I would love to have someone running for the head office of this nation that would go ahead and tell our nation we are in really bad shape and our only hope is God and we better get on our face and ask for His help. Some closing thoughts I'm going to give you and then we're going to have invitation time, the Lord's Supper and some other things. Statistics are showing right now, along with the economic downshift in America, that it is affecting the generosity of people. A stat I read about a large city in the northeast, or northwest rather. A few years ago, every year at Christmas when they would do the the Toys for Tots campaign, the organization in that city, they would have by Christmas time $100,000 to use to help with children and 50,000 toys. This last year, they had $3,000 and 5,000 toys instead of 50,000 toys. Because people are hurting. But you see, the Macedonian believers that Paul's using for illustration here, they were hurting. And yet they gave out of joy, out of willingness of their heart. See, you'll see stories like that, like the one I just shared with you about the Toys of Tots. And you know what our first reaction is sometimes? The government ought to do something about that. Rich people, rich people ought to do something about that. You know what I think we ought to do as individuals, as Christians? I think instead of saying the government ought to do it, 
or reach people ought to do it. I think each of us individually ought to get on our face before God and say, God, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And then trust Him enough to do it. That we've allowed our nation to look to the government or rich people for solutions too long. The church needs to stand up and be the church. And love and minister to and have compassion for people. I had my heart touched by extreme generosity early in my life. My dad had a pretty good job as I was growing up as a child. He managed poultry plants. So a management position he made very well. But because of his alcoholism and his gambling and his drugs, we didn't see it. Didn't make it to mama's hands to buy clothing and food. When I was about 11, he was murdered, as most of you have heard me say before. On the 21st of December, we buried him on the 23rd of December. He was a sole breadwinner. My mother didn't work because she stayed at home with my grandmother and myself and my brother who was four years younger. You know what I saw happen that Christmas when my dad was killed? I saw people in that community. In a little church that that we went to, Walnut Grove Baptist Church. It's still there. It's not grown much at all. Probably gone down some, but if you go to Moravian Falls and hit 16 going into Tales, a little church on the left before we start up the mountain, and that's where we went as children. People from that church, I saw them come and give Mama money. And even though all of that happened and we didn't have a lot as far as material things, that Christmas is the biggest Christmas my brother and I ever had because of the generosity of people. That just did a lot for me as a little kid. I longed to be able to be more generous. I doubt if I ever have a million dollars. I doubt if I'm ever rich. But I can give with whatever God's given me. Because we don't ever know whose life we might impact with our generosity. Please hear this correctly. In this series about generosity and finances and things like that, I don't want you to hear it like this. I don't want you to hear it like, well, we have to do this so God will love us. No. Here's the way to hear it. Because God loves us and He sent His Son to the cross for us, we have the opportunity to do it. To show our love for Jesus and our love for others. Our motive for generosity is the spiritual blessings of God, what He's done for us. That ought to be our motive. Our measure for generosity should be what He's materially blessed us with, where we can give proportionately, as the Scripture says, as God has prospered us. 
I'm not talking to you about legalism, about have and give. I'm talking to you out of a willing heart, a loving heart, a heart that's been touched with the grace of Jesus, that you plan and systematically give and be generous with your life to touch the lives of others. Just a moment, the band's going to come and play. As they do so, here's some things I think you need to concern yourself with. One, as soon as the band starts, I want to invite you to step out and please come here to the front and grab a cup. It's got the little wafer on the top of it under the cellophane. And I want you to be serious about this because I'm not guiding you through it. You're to be a believer to start with, know Christ as your Savior. As you partake of it, you are remembering the body of Jesus nailed to a cross and the blood of Jesus shed for your sins. And I hope as you experience this in the invitation, it will remind you how generous God is. I want to encourage you all through this series. Sometimes you'll come in and just put your offerings in. I see you do that sometimes on the way in, you know, the door. I want to encourage you maybe the rest of this series and maybe for now on, you know. It really needs to be an act of worship. So why not just wait to the invitation? And if you've not given yet today, instead of waiting until the service is over with as the band plays as an act of worship after you partake the Lord's Supper, why not go and put your offering in there? Go over here to the Africa wall and visit that wall and pray. If you can't do anything else today, if you're not prepared to do anything else today but pray, go pray for this mission effort or go give in the pedestal that's over there. Brad and Brandy's planning a, another trip to Guatemala. Some of you may want to go where they are and pray for them as they plan the, the trip there. Some of you probably might be burdened right now a little bit because you think, man, my finances are, I wished I could. I wished I could be generous, but my finances, I've just, I've sinned in my life financially. My finances are just where I can't even, even give. If that's where you are, why not just apologize to Jesus in prayer during the invitation and let us know if you need help. And we have some people that have taught financial classes before, and we'll try and get you some help. Some of you are doing really well. You know, God's blessed you. Maybe you need just to pray during this invitation about what generosity in your position looks like from God. You know what we can all do as the band leads us? We can sing (laughs) because God has been so generous and sent his son to die on the cross. We can sing and worship him. And I want to remind you, even though this message and this series is about generosity, I want to remind you, Jesus is still generous. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, even though we're talking about generosity and finances or stewardship of your time or whatever it is, Jesus is still generous. And if you don't know him as savior, great time to come and say, you'd like to know how to believe in Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray right now you prepare our hearts to reflect and think upon what you've done for us through Jesus on the cross. Father, I pray that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we'll be so reminded of your generosity and be encouraged to be more generous ourselves. Father, I pray for the trip to Guatemala. I pray, Lord, for the, for the mission trip to Africa, that you will move there upon our, our hearts and meet needs. 
Lord, for those that might be struggling that are here, God, I pray that you bless them, that you help them out of the, the place that they find themselves in and help them just to trust you with their financial life. God, for those you have extremely blessed, just deal with their hearts right now and help them to understand what generosity, from your viewpoint, looks like in their lives. God, help us to sing and worship you. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, please call them to yourself. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to come. Please stand and come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dathan Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.